I never know what a start podcast. It's like there's there's like an artifice to it that is uh, very jarring for me sometimes. And then like partially like a lot of the way podcasts start is like there's like a two minute conversation. Then the guests will usually go like, are we recording right now? That's, I feel like that's like the Mark Maron model. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're definitely recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have Adam Amawala here on, on the first episode. It's an honor. Yeah, it's very fitting. Um, I it don't feels like a bad credit to be like I was the first person on the struggling <laughs> podcast. But. Partially, yeah, because yeah. it's like about making a living in comedy, and right. like I, I think you know, there's I think you have a lot to say about that, and like a unique journey, certainly. Um, I, I but like part the reason I wanted to have you on first was because I don't know if you remember this, but you were like the first comedian that I met in New York City. What's funny is I, I don't really like I don't have a specific memory of that. And then obviously we lived together. But like that was after the fact, like when what were the circumstances again? So this was January 2012. Mm-hmm. I was living at my parents house in suburban Virginia. I had been doing comedy in D.C. for a few years. I had wanted to move up to New York. I had a b- bunch of job interviews all throughout that month. And I would drive up to Hoboken and stay at my cousin's right, apartment. Right, right, right go do the interviews mm-hmm. in the city, come back, change out of my suit, and then go do open mics until like whatever time of night. And we met at the, this is a throwback, the UCB East. Yep. I don't know what day of the week, maybe it a was Thursday. Tuesday. It was Tuesday. It was a tu- there we go. Yeah. See, it's all coming back. I remember it all. I would go do like beauty bar mic mm-hmm. first, and then I would do UCB East. And if I could do like both of those in the same night, I was like, I feel like I'm doing real shows because they were just good mics. Yeah. It's, oh man, I'm really grinding out here. But as you're describing this, I'm remembering it. Like we took the path back together, right? We did. Yeah. yeah. And I, because we did the mic together and I remember walking back to the path and like stepping either in or over a puddle and you're like, that's not a puddle. That's, that's dog piss. Don't step in that. <laughs> I don't remember that. That was my welcome to New York moment. It's like yeah. people just let their dogs pee on the street here and then. You should be lucky it was dog piss. I know, it right? Was. It could, actually could have been yeah. human piss, certainly. But um, I remember our conversation coming back on the path because I was just struggling just to get into the city and find a job and like mm-hmm. have some kind of economic stability. And I think I had asked you, like, wait, so what do you do? What's your day job? And you're like, oh, I don't have a day job. I, I do colleges. And that, that was. I didn't even know that that was a possibility that like completely blew my mind. Right. But I don't think it's like weird for you to have felt that way. Like in fairness, I was very young at the time. Like Mm -hmm. we, I mean, I think we're basically the same age, but like to be making a living doing comedy at that point is not what you would expect, especially from someone you just did a mic with. Like, it's not like I was, that was the weird thing about that whole situation was that like in New York, I was still nobody, but I had this other thing going on where I was like, I figured out a way to make money doing comedy. Did that, um, did you ever feel like weird saying that to people like other comics that you were like, did that mm-hmm. come up a lot of, of that disconnect of I'm doing mics, but I'm making a living at the same time? It did. Um, I would say that a lot of people like felt a certain type of way about it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if resentful is the right word, but like par- partially I understand it because like I was not somebody who was established in New York. All of a sudden I start coming around and there are people who had been here for a lot longer than me who were a lot better than me, frankly, and had been like grinding for years and not making much headway in terms of like being able to not be walking dogs. 
And then they meet this guy who's 24, 25, who's like, oh, yeah, I like don't have a day job and I do all these college gigs. And I think there was a certain amount of like, well, who the fuck is this guy? Like, it, <laughs> and I, I don't think I was arrogant about it. It was just like, if someone asked me, I would tell them what the deal was. I think the funniest thing about it is that like, it still follows me now. Like anyone who met me at that time, I feel like that's what people knew me as. So even now, if people don't see me for a while, they'll be like, oh, how are the, how are the colleges going? It's like, I don't know. Like I did, I did one this past weekend and it was the first one I had done in a year and a half. Oh, wow. So it's just not a huge part of my life anymore. But I think it's like one of those, you are who you were when people first met you sort of things. Mm -hmm. So that like that first impression has followed you mm -hmm. pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And there were definitely people who would say like kind of condescending things or like backhanded things. Um, I, I won't name him cause he's since apologized, but there's a, a comic who I'm like, I'm friends with now. But I remember talking to him uh, about doing colleges and he said something to the effect of like, oh, yeah, I see. I see why you probably do well at colleges like your stuff is very non-threatening. Oh, you, no. don't, you don't really take risks on stage. I was like, all right. Yeah, that uh, man, that is the ultimate backhand. I mean, it's like I wouldn't even yeah. call it a backhand compliment. It's, it's just, just like, it, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, it's it's forehand insult for right. sure. Yeah. Uh, well, so I don't know if I've ever like fully talked to you about this, but like, how did that actually get started because like when did that because i had no idea that was a possibility at like right. 25 26 like how did you find it out so young and make it your your launching point well i think um the origin of it was that i graduated what year did you graduate college 2008 okay so i graduated 2009 and like for both of us it was not a great economy to graduate in. no definitely arguably not the worst economy i was working at enterprise rent a car after college oh, boy well, they, you know, they let you be your, be your own, own boss. boss. Yeah, exactly. All right, if I could interrupt for just 30 seconds, uh, one of my favorite stories I've ever heard was my my former manager at Enterprise Rent-A-Car told me that he took a girl on a date to go see Step Brothers. Oh, no. Oh, and, no. and he thought it was going well. He was like, all right, she likes me. It might have been like the second or third date. And then that line drops right at the end of the movie. And I, I don't even think he like called her again after that. I don't think you can. He, yeah, he knew what time it was. Like Will Ferrell just completely trashed him on the big screen. Oh, man. Um, that's very funny. But so anyway. anyway, so I, I graduated 2009. Um, I didn't have a lot of like job prospects anyway. And in some ways, I look back at that as having been a blessing in disguise, because I think if I had had some great job offer, it would have been a lot harder to be like, I'm going to try to be a comedian. Yeah. But it was like, if I'm going to be broke anyway, I might as well be broke doing what mm -hmm. I want to do. But I had gone to school for communications and like a focus in PR. So I, I had done, I remember I, we did like an, uh, almost like an internship sort of thing where you would like go find a local business or a restaurant or something. And you would create a PR campaign for them and try to like drum up business and all that stuff. So what I ultimately ended up doing was kind of doing that for myself. And my whole attitude was like, well, the only place I've really performed to this point has been, I mean, I had done like a couple bringer shows in New York, but like mostly at my own college. So for whatever reason, it just occurred to me like, well, if I know how to perform for college audiences, I should try to see if I can do that for other colleges. And I don't even know if at the time I realized the kind of money that was involved. That was just like the logical next step was like, well, clearly this is my audience because I just graduated from college and this is who I can relate to. So I called this comic. I, I reached out to someone I knew on the student activities board and I was like, hey, do you know any comedians who might be willing to like help me out and give me some advice? And they uh, connected me with this guy, Jay Black, who there, I think there's actually two comics named Jay Black, but this one is like based in. The I was about to say that name sounds very familiar. There's but an LA guy, it's... I think also who's Jay Black. Yeah. But anyway, this guy had gone to my college. 
he was a working comic and he was nice enough to take like an hour and just talk to me and kind of break down like how it all works and what advice he had. And he explained the whole NACA thing, which is uh, this like big, you know what it is, but for people who... Yeah. For people who don't know or haven't seen that one episode of Crashing. Exactly. I mean, honestly, that's a very accurate depiction of of that world. Is uh, It's these big conferences where you perform for like a bunch of colleges. So long story short, he was like, well, I mean, you seem really new, but maybe that's not such a bad thing. Like you're relatable. So, you know, keep working at it. And, and if you want to do colleges, like try to get into one of these conferences. So I, this is long enough ago that I literally made like electronic press kits, no. had like a DVD of a bringer set that I had done at comics, which doesn't exist anymore. That was on uh, like meatpacking. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've seen footage from that club. I went, so when I was living in DC and like wanting to move to mm-hmm. New York, I would watch sets of New York comedians and yet yeah, that comics yeah. background was, and it was, was very were great tapes. I mean, my material was shit, but like the tapes were, it, really, yeah. it was like the, the crowd was awesome. Angle. Yeah. The crowd, I was a bad right? comedian. Yeah, exactly. I was new. So I just sent around, um, <laughs> I sent around my t- a DVD and a, like a, I literally think I had like a cover letter of like why I wanted to be a comedian. <laughs> and I just, I tried to do whatever my PR background told me that one would do and just treated comedy like it was working at Enterprise or anywhere. Yeah. And I sent it around and most people didn't get back to me. There were a couple of people that did. Um, and we're like, who are you? And what is like, just come, just bewildered, right? Please who is don't. this child sending yeah. us a DVD? And then there were a couple of people who were like, uh, you know, you're pretty funny. You're, you're clearly like very green, but we would consider working with you. And what I found out after the fact was that the guy who worked with me, speaking of stepbrothers, he said that my like submission stood out to him because he assumed my headshot was a joke. It looked like the stepbrothers cover where I was like, I had this like kind of fuzzy wall behind me and I, I just didn't know how a headshot was supposed to look. I posted it recently. Yeah. I, yeah. I was about to say, I think I can visualize that headshot. Yeah. If, 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 if through the miracle of post-production, I yes. might like splash it on the yeah. screen right yeah. here yeah. If, uh, for anyone who's watching on yeah. YouTube. So that was part of the reason that he reached out to me is because he thought it was funny. And I remember when he said that to me, I just played along with it. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wasn't an that honest... Was- portrayal of who right. i wanted to be exactly so he he really was like seth rogan in Step Brothers. it's like yeah no this is hilarious you guys show up in, in tuxedos you're idiots like yeah yeah, yeah I'm, I'm down i get it, I get it. <laughs> yeah there we go um but yeah so i got to the point where an agency was like we're not going to represent you but we will let you submit for these conferences through our agency. Yeah, because that's a huge thing mm-hmm. too because you can't really do it yourself, correct? You can, but it's incredibly expensive and I don't think that they really consider a lot of like independent, yeah, non-represented artists. It's just flushing money down the toilet almost. Kind of, yeah. I did it one time. I went in um, with a couple other comics and we like bought a booth together and it was a ton of money and I think I had to like chase one of them down to pay. Oh, no. so it was like a whole thing. What so, year was that? Was that at the beginning or was that more recently? That was like in the middle like i had worked with agencies and then i was like well i know how to do this now i don't need an agent and then i was like no i do so good call yeah I, at a certain point it's like would you rather have 100 percent of less money or 80 percent of a lot more money yeah it's true well so at, at what point after graduating was this like sending out all this stuff and like immediately immediately yeah so that's what i kind of like about that because i look back on myself starting comedy and how like shameless i was Mm -hmm. and like like the level of shame to your talent is like not proportional at all you should have way more shame yeah 
But it's it's almost like I, I almost miss that a little 1, bit because you're so much more willing mm-hmm. to try stuff. Yeah, because you're not. I, I used to. I, I I remember Rich Voss was on the show and he like just destroyed me and I, I deserved it. But like I did like a bar show in New York and I tried to sell like CDs after it. It was oh, no. like, just insane. <laughs> And they were burned. Like, I didn't even have the real CDs. It was like a burned CD. Yeah, it's like I made you a, the Adam Amawala mixtape. Yeah, it was just like a level of hubris that is so... It's so far from how I feel now. Like, I feel like the better I get, the more successful I am, the less I believe in myself for some yeah. reason. And there are so many times where I'm like, if I could combine the experience and talent I have now with the level of, like, unfounded confidence that I had as a 22-year-old, I would be a lot more successful. I know. Maybe those are like the best comics, the ones who get better but never lose that sense of shame, or they just turn into absolute monsters and then it just eats them alive from the inside. Well, I mean, speaking of people who turn into monsters, depending on how you feel about this, like it reminds me of the Kanye thing where like Mm -hmm. Kanye shows Pharrell through the wire in the genius doc and Pharrell says that exact thing to him. It's like, you're going to make it. And when you do, like, don't lose this, like, don't lose the hunger that you have. And I think um, it's very hard to do. Yeah. He, uh, I don't know if he lost the hunger, but he definitely lost uh, the marbles, the marbles or the <laughs> humanity or the soul, perhaps. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Uh, that's nuts. All right. So. But anyway, so you, you were asking, like, how soon after this all happened? So this happened immediately. This happened and then immediately, and, and then the, yeah. when when stuff started catching on for you, mm-hmm. when how long did that take? Not long. I the first one of those conferences I did was less than a year out of college. Awesome. So I graduated May of. 2009 the first conference i did was march of 2010 and what were you doing for money in between that time like odd jobs i was teaching tennis lessons i was working at lucky brand jeans at the mall and that was rough because it was like you know i wasn't a genius but i was certainly like one of the smarter kids in high school and i remember being graduated from college and then like people who were actually working would like pop into the mall and be like oh you're working at a clothing store. No, no, no. I'm a comedian. Right. Like, exactly. It's like exactly. just gonna save face I by saying as a that. Comedian. But exactly. I work at Lucky Brand Jeans. So yeah, I worked. I did like retail. I taught tennis lessons. I did uh, SAT tutoring. I worked for Princeton Review. So I was basically my parent. I, so I was living at home, by the way, mm-hmm. um, which my, is a huge help and exactly, was also yeah. like acceptable. I mean, it's more it's Especially, acceptable now. I think that's when it started becoming acceptable. Was yeah. Like first financial crisis when everyone's like, I where am I gonna go? Like I, I'm making. 17 grand a year like I, I can't go anywhere that is such a weird time i because i remember that time that year that i was at home after after graduating college yeah. because you have all this freedom in college and you're acting like an idiot most mm-hmm. of the time and then you still try and do that when you're back home but right. you're like under your parents like they can't do anything but like yeah. they're they're witness to your idiocy almost 100% yeah and I, I come from a household that's like more, more conservative in terms of like I never I was never like allowed to drink or anything like that in high school like I think it was known once I got to college that that's what was happening but yeah for the year or two that I lived back home it was this weird kind of like I wasn't lying to them but I would just be like I'm gonna be home tomorrow yeah and then, like they wouldn't ask for details I'm staying over at so-and-so's house right, right, it's right, like right. your friend from middle school like all right sure yeah, exactly um all right so the year later that the first NACA conference happens in May of, May of 2010 yeah and things get going from there yeah it's March March of 2010 it was at uh it was called the Mid-Atlantic Festival it was like a smaller conference at uh, East Stroudsburg University. In, they always are at these very weird regional colleges. Oh, yeah, in, incredibly obscure. So from that, I booked maybe like 
maybe between like five and 10 gigs for that coming fall. So in the meantime, I was still like, I would come into New York to do bringers occasionally. I wasn't doing, um, <clears throat> doing like open mics or anything. I was actually like running an open mic in New Jersey. Okay. And the crazy thing was at the time, like the Lucas brothers were coming all the time. Like they, they were still performing individually. Like they hadn't figured it out yet. That they were, that's, I didn't know that they were like a solo act individually uh -huh. at first. Yeah. So I actually went to college with them. They didn't even do stand up in college. And then after they started and they were doing it like individually. And then at some point I think they started, they figured out very quickly like, oh, this is much more interesting if we do it together. Did they like naturally talk and sound the same? Because it seems like I could, I can't imagine them doing stand up separately. Like they're so yeah. reflective of each other. I don't know. I, I don't remember it being great, but like once they started doing it together, they were very good. They found but, their thing. Um, yeah. I was doing like a mic in central Jersey and it was, uh, yeah, they were around like Dina Hashem and Gordon Baker bone. Oh, and all wow. Those, all those characters. But, uh, yeah. So once I got the, once the conference happened, once I like did well enough showcasing that I got some gigs, that was enough for that agency to be like, all right, like we'll represent you now. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Like I, that, so that was 2010. I maybe did whatever those gigs were, five to 10 gigs. And then by the next year, I started doing like 20 gigs. And then the next year was 30 gigs. And by 2013, that was the busiest year that I had in the college market. I did 78 colleges. Oh my God. Yeah. And like for anyone at home who doesn't know, like the way college, like mm -hmm. colleges pay uh, unreasonable amounts of money. The best way I've heard it described on some other podcast was someone was like, it's as if colleges have no sense of what comedians get paid anywhere else. Yeah. Because like I'm at the level where like I headline, like I headline clubs, but I'm the sort of headliner who's like filling in the gap between people who draw. So I'll, you know, do a weekend for a thousand bucks or whatever it is mm -hmm. for four shows for a thousand dollars. But then a college is like, would you like four grand? It's like, well, sure. But you know, I would have done this for much less. Yeah. But you never even like say you, you try to like play it off. It's, oh yeah, I guess I could, I could do that. But just sure. inside you're like, oh my God, my rent for like yeah, yeah, many yeah. months. That's, that's also kind of right like there. what the market will bear sort of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like we do stuff in New York for free all the time. But if like someone asked me to do a corporate event, I'm not going to do it for 50 bucks, but yeah. I would gladly take 50 bucks to like do a spot in the city. Well, that's, I think it's also like the difficulty level of those types of shows or like the right. environment. Cause like, I mean, you know this and, and maybe people out there know it where the, the college shows, at least the, the ones that I've done are usually not great. My, my personal favorite is like whoever runs the student body activities mm -hmm. committee, the way that they introduce. Yeah. Cause they, they don't, understand the basic tenant like the simplest thing of like say the performer's name last mm -hmm. like i've gotten intros at colleges that are like all right so our comedian's name is pete bladell and um he's from new york city yeah and um here he is give it up for pete everybody and it's just in the middle of lunch mm -hmm. like it yeah the old nooners mm -hmm. the the other one that's that's brutal is when they don't ask for an intro and then they just like read your bio from a website. <laughs> so then it makes you sound like weirdly self-important where you're yeah. like, I want them to read everything I've ever done. They got to know about Sirius. They got to know about yeah. Netflix. It's like, I'm, I'm, you got an important person interrupting your, uh, your Salisbury steak here. Yeah. The, uh, the big thing with colleges that I, I kind of forgot about until I did this gig this past Saturday was like, the big challenge of it is that you're warming the crowd up for yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, unless you bring an opener and give them some of your money. I, I went up this past Saturday to a fully cold audience to do an hour. Jeez. So the first 15 minutes are me like opening for myself, basically. 
Um, which I think ultimately was like a valuable skill to learn because if you go up to a completely cold audience and you have to figure out how to make them not that way, I think it makes you a stronger comic, but like, yeah. it's really jarring, especially, you know, if I'm headlining a club or, or even just doing a regular club spot, like the crowd is by the time I'm on stage, the crowd is ready to laugh for sure. And like it, getting through that first wall of just like silence or awkwardness, mm -hmm. That was always a big stumbling block for me because there really is nothing natural about these these like college shows. It's just and then right. you start feeling like weird vibes there. It's hard not to let that swallow you up. And I've been victim of that sometimes. And a lot of them have never been to a comedy show before. Mm -hmm. Like, I think at least now they're exposed to it more because of Instagram and TikTok. And like they, they are aware of what it is. Yeah. In a way that when I was doing it 10, 12 years ago, maybe they weren't as much. Um, but yeah, for a lot of people at a show, especially it's usually underclassmen who are there. It's usually the people who are like not partying, not or not invited to parties. Right, they got nothing exactly. better to do. Or the people that the student activities board, like it's their friends that they harangued into coming. So that yeah. the guys, I'm putting on the show. There's exactly. a comedian. Come hang out. Yeah. Uh, all right. So things start taking off in 2013. That was around the time that we, we all got an apartment together, me, you and, and Gavin, mm -hmm. your friend Gavin from yeah. growing up. And I like I got to kind of see because I was I was still working a day job, still am honestly. But you know what? What are you gonna do about I can it? Still picture you in your button down at Bungus Den. Oh God, it's I, that was man. You want to talk about first impressions? <laughs> like I really Mr. think Corporate I Pete. I think I fucked myself because like my first job when I moved to New York was I had to dress business casual. I had to wear a button up tucked into slacks, and if I wanted to make the six o'clock mic at the creek. Right. I, I didn't have time to go home and change, so I would just show up in my work outfit with like my close cropped haircut, yeah. just looking like a, a preppy dipshit. Right, but all the schlubs at the creek were like, "You think you're better than me?" Yeah, and like, and no, but maybe just a little, depending, yeah. depending on the environment. You you know, you do more shows than me, so you're a better comedian. But uh, yeah, I, I really I I didn't realize like how um, off putting that mm -hmm. might have been, and I just kind of like went with it. I, yeah. I guess if. I think I did have someone ask me recently, if you could do one thing differently, what would it be? And I think it would be bring a change of clothes less to work. Slacks, yeah. Yeah. Less slacks, less button downs, less, uh, I had like a messenger bag that I carried around. God damn. Again, more shame when I was younger would have yeah. been huge. Um, but when we were living together, I kind of got exposed to the way you kind of ran like your operation, so to speak mm -hmm. and how, organized you were and how um intentional you were about like what you did with comedy and like who you contacted so like was that something you've always had was that something that you learned over time you mean in terms of colleges or just anything just anything because I, yeah. I like the thing i specifically remember is like you showed me one time like you had like a spreadsheet of like all the bookers in like new york city for shows that you wanted to do and like when you reached out to them what the response was. And I remember thinking like, I, I didn't get into comedy to do spreadsheets. Like right. what the hell is this? But like something like that is so necessary, but it never would have occurred to me to do something like that. So yeah. like, where did that come from? I don't know. I mean, I think, um, I, I come from a background of like, you know, I've got an immigrant dad. There's a lot of the, like, you have to work hard sort of, that's just like in me naturally, I yeah. think just based on that. Um, and I am, I think I'm, I'm certainly very type A and as a result of that, like I only feel, I, I don't feel okay until I feel like I'm in control in some way. And I think that's a way of doing that is like, I am keeping track of what I'm doing and the progress that I'm making. And, um, I also think that a lot of people are too proud to ask for things. 
and I was never that way, like to a fault even. Like I think there were times early on where I would ask for things, um, not necessarily in a presumptuous way, but like at a point where I was not following the protocol of trying to get on a show, which is generally, and perhaps this has changed, like you go hang out, you introduce yourselves to people. Like once they know you, maybe it's appropriate to ask for a spot rather than like cold messaging people. Yeah. But the point is like, I wanted to keep track of that because it's like, all right, well, if I just messaged this person two weeks ago and then I forgot about it and I messaged them again, they're going to think I'm a dick. So let me keep track of when I reach out to them and what the, what the response was. And I yeah. feel, I feel like that, that idea of, I want to be able to keep track or I want to like have um, a marker of like, of my work because so much of this, like trying to get on shows, trying to get your name out there, trying just to get booked anywhere is so nearly beyond your control or there's so right. many variables that it does. And it can be very disorienting to have to deal with that or have to sit in that. So I think doing something like that, just to bring like a little, a little semblance of control, if mm -hmm. you can, um, is the right way to go about it. Cause it might kind of like calm, calm me down a little bit. Well, it's one of those, like you can't control what other people do, but you can control what you do. So like it's, it's not once I've sent the message or sent an email or whatever it is, like it's out of my hands, but at least I'm doing what I can do to like be on top of it. Yeah. You know, you're also going back to what you said about like, I don't even know if people go to shows anymore. Everything's like, everything is FaceTime is online now. It feels mm -hmm. like then that was, so that's so different than what I think what we like what the protocol was for us when we were in like our mid to late twenties. Well, yeah. I mean the social media has, it's like a complete paradigm shift now where when you and I started comedy, there was a very specific route of like, you go hang out, you show face, you make sure that the, that your peers respect you because if your peers respect you, then the industry respects you. Mm -hmm. And you know, you do a late night set and you try to do a half hour comedy central and you like follow those steps. And if you do that, maybe you'll become a touring comic. Now you can kind of circumvent that if you figure out how to do it. Yeah. Like the internet was like, it was supplementary back in like the, mm -hmm. the early to mid 2010s right. it could like help you out but now it, it is like the main thing and that's something i've really had to reorient myself around in the last mm -hmm. like year or two i feel like oh me too it, it, and i find it exhausting and i i don't i don't enjoy it but i also there's the part of it that's good is that it gives you more agency than you used to have yes like it used to be that we were beholden to club bookers or to people who book jfl or whatever it is because you were like these are the tastemakers and so i have to they have to like me or otherwise i'm never gonna make it but like i don't know that that was ever as true as we thought it was but it's definitely not true anymore i mean there were a lot of comedians in the mid-2010s worried about what a middle-aged man in a fedora thought of mm -hmm. them you know like am i gonna get booked on this big festival and right. i i think it is ultimately a good thing to like decentralize that power and take it out of one man or one, one woman one person's hands whatever right but now it's also been kind of centralized into like a piece of code in silicon valley yeah. that like nobody can really scrutinize in mm -hmm. any way but it, like i don't know i i could talk about this forever just because there's so many different parts of it but yeah it's it's like pros and cons like anything else like probably a net good overall but that doesn't mean there aren't like it's soul-sucking elements right um all right Going off around that tangent. Uh, so yeah, 2014 was when we had the apartment in Astoria. 
and you said 2013 was your busiest year. So you had like been doing colleges for many years for a mm-hmm. few years at that point. And like, were you conscientious of like, all right, I need to like kind of get out of this. So I'm not like the college guy anymore. I need to like, or like one day this is going to dry up. Like what, what was that? The thought process? There? I think it was a combination of both of those things. I think it was partially realizing that like, not only was it not going to last forever, but like I shouldn't want it to anyway. Um, but also, as soon as I started coming to New York, it was immediately clear to me that the colleges did not mean anything to anyone here. Like, it was amazing that I had them and it was great to get that kind of stage time and to be able to, like, not have to work a day job. And all of that was great. But in terms of me being any closer to my goals in comedy, it it could not have mattered less. So I think for me, it was like, if I, if I stay on this path, even if it's available to me, if I do 80 college gigs a year even if I'm making six figures or whatever that is, is it going to hinder my ability to get where I really want to go as a comic? And so I was not at a point where I was going to say like, oh, I'm just never doing college again because I needed to make money. But it was kind of a conscious thing of like a combination of, I think it's going to start drying up anyway, but that's not such a bad thing because I need to establish myself in New York. And I, I don't know how you feel about that, but like, I feel like it took me a long time. Like, I think it was, I started coming around mics and stuff in maybe 2011. And I don't think it was until maybe four or five years later that I felt like I could like walk into a room and most people knew who I was or I had like any sort of respect here. I got you. Yeah. Well, the thing with the colleges is like, yeah, that it was, it wasn't a goal or like an end in and of itself, but Mm -hmm. it was more like a means to an end where it kind of cleared the pathway for you where you had more time and like you could like right. really focus on um like what you what you wanted to but like when it got to that sort of intersection where it was like maybe holding you back a little bit like that's you got to kind of just like let go of the wheel at that point yeah and i i know what you mean about about like not feeling comfortable or not feeling welcomed or not whatever like i still struggle with that sometimes especially because like i think so many of the people that are around now are like new mm-hmm. and it's and again, like you could t- say this however many times, but how much the pandemic flipped things around where there was like a whole new crop of people yeah, when you got time. back. Um, was there like a specific uh, like show that you got on or like a moment where you started feeling like, all right, I feel a little more comfortable, a little more welcomed, or was it just you kind of looked up one day and that was it? I think probably more the latter, but... Um... I remember there being times where I'd like finally get on a show I really wanted to do. Like I remember the first time I got to do like Knitting Factory or I got to do at the time it was called Night Train. It's now Butter Boy, but like the show at Littlefield, like mm-hmm. just things that were big shows in New York where even if I only did it once a year, I was like, I feel like it means something that I'm able to do this now. And I, it also coincided with when I was running that that weekly show at Beauty Bar. And so that what, what was that Friday? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so I, I read Josh that. Carter, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it j- like just ended now, like a month ago. I was supposed to do it like back in January and it yeah. got rescheduled mm-hmm. and then so it's like done done now. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so. I haven't been inside that bar in 3 4 years, yeah. but I I feel that it's so weird how all these things that were such a central part of your like day-to-day life for so long are right. just like gone or you don't go there anymore. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's very bizarre. But anyway, yeah. um certain shows yeah and i think it's just like trying to have a like a long view of like what do i want my life to be and part of it was like i was on the road a lot it was exhausting especially doing colleges like at least when you do a club weekend you're like there for three days doing a 
colleges, especially when you're not saying no to things. I remember there being times where I would have like a gig, a gig in Iowa on a Tuesday. And then I would like fly back East and do a show in Massachusetts on a Wednesday. And then I'd be in California on a Thursday. And like the routing was just insane. Kind of like also in sleepwalk with me when he's like, looking all at the, the map. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or what's that? So like Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to Tacoma, Philadelphia, Atlanta, LA. Yeah. It's like that. It's like that. Yeah. He's doing a college tour. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, wow. And getting, but getting to those shows, like especially a lot of the colleges that these kind of shows happen at are not, easy to get to by any they're not around no. like major metropolitan they're rarely, airports yeah I, like i think when i first thought about what it would be to do a college gig i it was like very glamorous in my mind i was like all the cool kids are gonna be there it's yep. gonna be this big event and some of them were really cool but a lot of them it, it was like the people who weren't invited to the party were there or people didn't even know about the show or there was no lighting or the microphone didn't work properly or, or any of these things that to me, going back to how much they pay, I was like, why, why would you spend so much money on this and not even have it set up for me to succeed? So I got better about like actually telling them what I wanted early on. I was just happy to be there. So I was like, Oh sure. Yeah, I can do this without, a yeah, don't rock the boat. I don't want you to like room. pull the check or anything. Right. Exactly. Um, all right. So, you make you start like conscientiously making that shift mm-hmm. around that time, and then but then you get into 2020 and the world falls apart. And I think like yeah. we talked about this, just like half your calendar just fell off in like a 24 hour period. Yeah, it was bad. Um, I remember it was that morning. It was like the morning after the night that the NBA shut mm-hmm. down. Tom got Hanks it. got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what else happened, but like there were a few things. Oh, they canceled the tournament. Oh, the I remember. Madness, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, within a matter of a morning any of the stuff that i had booked for the coming few months and the coming year was just gone and one of them was like a big it's like a big corporate event that was gonna it was one of those things that like when you're a freelancer you have these certain things that sort of anchor your year and all of a sudden that was just postponed indefinitely and uh yeah i mean it was you're unmoored like the anchors is gone uh-huh. completely yeah. so i mean it because i know you you said you moved back in with your parents during that time yeah that's on Adam's most recent album, Statistically More Relatable, available everywhere now. Hey, all right. Uh, I mean, like, how, at what point, how, what was the trajectory for, like, oh, my gosh, this is all falling apart. I might have to move back home. Oh, my God, I'm moving back home. Well, that all happened very quickly. That was, like, in that kind of one-week span in March, my parents were getting very concerned. They were, like, seeing the news reports. They were seeing how New York was trending, and they were, like, we don't want you to get stuck there. At, at that time, they were talking about like, are they going to shut the city down? Are they going to like close the bridges? Like, like in Batman. Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So I remember I was teaching tennis at that time, actually, to make some extra money, um, even before the pandemic. And I was like, well, as long as that's still happening and I'm making money, like I should probably stick around. And I think it was like that Monday, whatever that Monday was, like March 16th, I think it was that the city was like, all right, no more. Like, everything's done. I think that was Cuomo, like, New York is on pause. He shows up on the TV and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, remember when everyone thought he was a hero for three weeks? Dude, that was... uh, Anyone who knew him knew it was not going to last. Yes, I I hope people screenshotted those tweets for, like, how wrong they were, like, in March and April. Cuomo for president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, he should replace Biden. It's like, don't get get too ahead of yourself. So once the the club said they were going to close, I was like, I'm getting out of here. So I went home on March 18th. I knew it was like, we all knew that it felt weird, but I didn't think I would be home as long as I was. And then I was home for four months. Oh, wow. Four months to the day. And I mean, was there a point where you were at home where it's like, this is it, it's over? Like, I'm never going to get my old life back? Or did you always hope that 
I mean, I always hoped they were believed. And I was doing a lot of those like online shows. So at least I felt like I was still doing something, even if it was weird. Yeah. Um, talk about type A. I literally did like an Instagram live show three days a week just to like give myself something to do. I rem- I did one episode yeah. about the running into celebrities and mm-hmm. my story of spilling beer on AJ Hawk and Brady Quinn. <laughs> Devastating. I mean, it was just like, it gave me something to do. It gave me a way to like talk to comics that I hadn't seen in a while. But uh, I think the biggest thing for me was like, what does New York have for me anymore? Like mm-hmm. the whole reason that I'm here is to chase this dream. And if it doesn't exist anymore, like how can I just, I was still paying rent even though I wasn't here. And I was like, how do I justify continuing to do this? And then once the outdoor show started, I was like, well, I, I just feel like I, at that point it was the summer. I think things were less scary. And I was like, well, I guess I'll see, I'll see how it goes. But I don't know that I ever seriously was like, well, I guess this is it. I'm going to just, hang them up that's good yeah we were um we were here for a couple months and then we went to Kristen's parents house over the summer and i remember like coming back at the end of august and like it definitely felt a little lighter like people were out like carrying drinks around and like everyone had a little bit of like a bubbly effervescence about them and then in the fall it kind of went downhill again but um all right well see i mean you made it out on the other side of that like where do you find yourself now do you feel comfortable I, I don't know if there's ever a way to feel truly comfortable mm-hmm. but do you feel comfortable now with like your career financially trajectory like how uh where do you how do you feel right now well i think i'm somebody who's like pretty hard on myself and it's not necessarily a good quality because you feel like you're never doing enough or that there's always something more you should be doing and for whatever reason i've like it's it's kind of funny to think about the fact that despite being somebody who wants to have so much control, I have chosen a career in which you often have almost no control. Mm -hmm. So I guess the short answer is that like, I feel reasonably good about where I'm at. Like I have a lot of different income streams now that are like related to comedy, but aren't necessarily comedy. But am I where I want to be? No. Um, I mean, and, and, and it's hard to not compare yourself to everybody else all the time. Like we all do it. It's kind of what social media has, has made us do. Um, And then it makes you second guess like, well, maybe I should have invested more time in this or more time in that. And maybe I would be at this level now. And I think all of that is kind of counterproductive, but like, yeah, I generally, I I feel okay about where I'm at, but then there are times where I have these delusions of like, you know, what has it, what has this cost me like financially and otherwise like, and, and, and also you've, at a certain point feel like you've backed yourself into a corner where you're like, well, what am I just going to like enter the workforce now and be like, sorry about that 15 year gap. <laughs> I hope that's all right. Here's yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Southern New Hampshire university. I, yeah, I did all exactly. the, yeah, this whole tour there. Uh, yeah. I know what you mean, but like, especially the, the comparison thing is devastating. I, I fall victim to it mm-hmm. all the time. It kind of drives me nuts whenever I see like older comedians on like a podcast or giving advice, like just keep your head down, do the work eyes on your own paper. Right. It's like, well, yeah, that worked in like 1990, whatever mm-hmm. for the most part. But now like we live in a world where we have to do our work on a thing where everyone is shoving their paper in your face to look at right. the entire time. And of course, like the way it gets served to you, it's only the most, successful stuff ends up on your phone so it just looks like everyone's doing way better and i don't know this is this all sounds as it's coming out of my mouth sounds very cliche and very trite and it's like things people say all the time but like i think people say them all the time because they're true and we just haven't figured out a a, a solution around them Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah and i think um everyone is 
even people who we know that are successful or who, what we perceive to be successful, they have their own hangups. They have their own insecurities. And I think that um, it's, it's a reminder to me sometimes when I'm like very hard on myself about something like a perfect example is like social media clips, right? Like we've, we have seen, we have, you and I have seen our peers go from obscurity to selling out theaters, some of whom did it like solely with social media. And you look at that and you're like, oh, so it's possible. Like there's a path to do that. And so I'm, I'm often like, oh, I'm like not posting clips enough or the clips that I'm posting aren't good enough or they're not edited this way or that way. But then when I'm out and about and talking to other comics, they're like, oh no, what are you talking about? Like you like post stuff all the time. And so the perception that other people have of you is never the same as what you have of yourself. And I think for me, the big thing is always like, what is enough for me? Like when, when would it ever feel like enough? And, and there are these things that I say now that if I, I feel like if I ever got them, I'm afraid that it wouldn't be like, I don't know about you, but even when I started comedy as a, as an overly confident 18 year old, I don't think I ever really thought that I was going to be like the next big, you know, Dave Chappelle. I, no. I don't think it was even a part of my thought process was like, I could be that famous or that I would even want to be. I think where I land now is that like, I, I still love doing stand up. I think that's really important. Like, I, I've had kind of a reckoning in the past few years as I've tried to do all these other things where I, I had to take a step back and be like, am I doing certain things because I feel like I'm supposed to, or am I doing them because I want to? Now, sometimes you can't choose. Like, am I doing social media clips because I love them? No, but I do think it's necessary and important, so I'll do it. But in like, you know, trying to do, to do acting and do the, these other things where like, you do have to ask yourself at a certain point, like, what what are you trying to accomplish here? And I think for me, if I could just be at the point, like I don't, I don't need or want to be Dave Chappelle, but if I could be like Kyle Kinane, like can I just be someone who can go to a city and I live a normal life and like nobody bothers me and nobody really knows who I am other than like a small and dedicated group of people who are like, I fuck with this guy. I, every time he comes to, you know, Omaha, I'm going to come out and see him. Like if I could tell, sell 200 seats in any city I wanted to, I would be cool with that. Yeah, a comfortable living mm -hmm. with like a reliable fan base. Right. That, I, I think that's how it always was for me too. I, I remember even being, I remember doing an open mic with somebody at like a bar in Georgetown when I was like 23 or 24. And they're like, so what do you want out of comedy? Do you want to like, you know, have a TV show? Do you want to do this? I was like, I just want to make a living at comedy. Mm -hmm. I want to not, I was at enterprise at the time. I said, I want to not have to work at enterprise rent a car right. anymore. And, um, I don't know. Maybe there was a part of me that thought that was like a low enough goal or like it, it wasn't like, um, so out of reach, but yeah, like the longer for me I go, the longer it feels more out of reach, but I guess it is like, what is enough? And like, when would you, like what you described is kind of ephemeral or like like not not quantitative. It's just like an idea. So it's like yeah. what like yeah, what what markers would you hit where you say you you felt that way? And I know for mm -hmm. me personally, like yeah, say something happened and I made enough money in a year where I was able to to quit my job. But like, right. how would I feel the next year? Would I feel worse because now I'm solely dependent on comedy mm -hmm. for my income and like I'm there's like this new like gnawing kind of like um grasping kind of feeling that i never had to deal with before it's, right. it's, i try to keep 
that top of mind. I, and I there's no uh, there's no saying like what's better because we've seen people who've done it both ways. We've seen people who've just like hustled and, and never really had a day job and they and they make it work. And then that that hunger that comes from that is what propels them to great things. There are also people who have worked a day job the whole time, and that gives them the financial flexibility to not be chasing down a shitty one nighter in Worcester, Massachusetts, because they don't need the money so they can. I mean, there's also the middle ground of people that you and I resent, which is like people who just come from money who also, <laughs> like didn't have to have a day job, but not because they were working, just because they yeah had live in money. Bushwick as like a recreational hobby, yeah, not exactly. out of necessity. Yeah, yeah. Um, for the culture. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, but for you, like, did you ever feel like there was a, a point where you were close to it or did you? No, never. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I, I, I got a college agent at one point, so I was like, oh, maybe I can, I can get a thing going like Adam where I get, I get booked on a NACA thing and then I make enough money in a year where I can quit my job and then that'll free me up to, and I, then I can grow in the New York comedy scene and do that. And that never really materialized. Um, it, you know, it's, it's always, it's always felt pretty far out of reach and that's what this podcast and this whole thing is it's like one last big swing i you know i've seen how stuff operates online i see what kind of does well in terms of like not like not like trying to like create stuff to appease people but like i know like where you have to put things and, and how you have to set stuff up in terms of like youtube and shorts and like i and and i just i feel like this might work <laughs> and like well, that's the that's the thank you that's i yeah. mean but that's like the best I could hope for right now and like i also there was a part two point two where i was just kind of like maybe i'll just like quit and like that'll be it but it's like i can't there's something like in here that's like it's not mm -hmm. quite time just yet like you gotta take right one big swing before you before you can close the door on it and um and like feel comfortable with yourself you know what i mean yeah so the, the, i i'm kind of doing this now is like a gift to my future self should it not work out it's like i can at least say like well I, I did take that big shot at the end and there's really nothing i'd like left on the field you know right. what i mean it's tough man i mean i don't i think when people meet me and they whatever they think of me like once they find out that i don't have a day job for for comics who who do it's this thing of like oh my god like that's all i've ever wanted is to just make a living doing this but you also have to be hustling all the time and you mm -hmm. have to like live in that world where you don't know where the paychecks are going to come from. And I, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this, but, um, every, uh, for the past couple of years, especially like the first couple of weeks of the year, I just have this dread sometimes of like, well, how's this year going to be like, where, what am I going to do for work? And where, even if I have stuff lined up, I don't know why, but like somehow turning the, the page into a new year, I have this like extreme anxiety and I, I'm hoping that I forget about it by the end of the year. But on like January 5th, I sent myself like a schedule send email for New Year's Eve of this year. Oh, man. And it basically was like, hey, asshole. Like, <laughs> remember when you were really worried about uh, making money and all these other things? Like, I bet you did. And I bet it was okay. So maybe don't do that in a couple of days. That's like a TikTok trend kind of like that whole, yeah. have you heard about like scripting, like scripting your year where it's like you kind of write out how your year is going to go. And then yeah, you, I mean, I'm aware of the, like, yeah, yeah. So you, you did that. Like, that. That's your version of that. I did that for myself this year. We'll see how it turns out yeah. at the end of the year. But manifesting. Uh, oh gosh, I dude, I've, I've tried it all. I've tried manifesting. Yeah. I've, I've tried. Yeah. I don't want to get into it, but yeah, it's uh, that's, that's good though. It's like, it's good to, at least you have that perspective and like you don't wallow in it and i feel like it probably does feel like cathartic to like write that email and then not necessarily send it but at least yeah. like have it out in the ether i mean i can't say that i don't i don't wallow because i certainly do 
Um, I think, you know, I don't, I don't know if there was like a certain point where you got, where you were like, I feel like it's time to either like just be done or like, I, I don't know. It was sitting at late night at New York comedy club one night, just really? like waiting for like the list to come out. It's like, I don't know how much longer I can, right. I can put myself through this, you know, yeah. without any kind of advancement. Um, I it, think, I think for me and I, like, I don't know how you perceive me. Like I, I've known you for a long time. I don't know like what you're like, I don't know that you can really answer this, but I, I guess I'm saying, I don't, I don't really know how, people see me in terms of my career but like i think yeah like a hard-working good comic that has like gone a different route but like i you kind of like found not like i don't want to say found your way back because it implies like that's like the right path but it's like you you found a way that worked for you and then you're where you want it to be like you're in new york and you're and you're doing stuff and you're on shows and that's like really all any of us want we just like we want to feel wanted right by the comedy community mm-hmm. the comedy scene so that's that's how i see you yeah. adam well, fair enough. I can live with that. Yeah. I think I think my big fear is that like I don't want to be the guy who's just like in double A for 20 years being like I'm going to get called up next year. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like I have enough going on and I've had enough success where like if I if tomorrow I was like I'm I'm out. Like I'm done. I've applied for a bunch of day jobs whatever that is and like I'm not doing any of this anymore. It's not even that people would be like disappointed in me, but I think there there are enough people rooting for me and enough people who believe in what I do. And even like from the standpoint of having representation and stuff like that, like it's not, that's not everything, but it, it helps um, that like I don't want to and I don't think people would want that for me. But the question remains like I'm, you know, I'll be 36 in, in a couple months. I'm I'm not old, but I'm not young. Like, is this going to be my life when I'm 40 or when I'm 50? Like, am I still going to be like cobbling together an income? Because that's not what I would like it to be. Yeah. Is that what called up means for you where it's like you don't have that feeling of dread mm-hmm. in the beginning of the year? So it's like you can you can wake up on January 5th of 2024 and, right. and not like not need to write yourself that email. Yeah. I think what I've been seeking and part of the reason that I've like pursued all these other things that I do related to comedy is like trying to find that one thing. If it were comedy, great, but to find like something that feels stable enough where I'm like, all right, regardless of anything else, this is going to be enough to sustain me rather than like trying to make $10,000 10 different ways and get by on that. It sounds like you're trying to find a more fulfilling version of what colleges were for you 10 years ago. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And um, because I'm sure like you wouldn't want to, if you were going to act in something, you wouldn't want to act in something shitty, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you would get satisfaction out of being in something good, even if it, like, like it, an acting gig paying well wouldn't be the primary satisfaction. I feel like no, and and the reason I got into acting initially was like I thought it was a route to have people find out about my stand-up. Like, I I think I got to a point where I was like I don't know that I'm gonna be Mark Norman. Like I don't know that I have the kind of personality or that i'm like crazy enough to be so obsessed with comedy it's hard not to do the impression right now oh man Uh comedy all right anyway yeah no obsessed yeah i know what you mean like yeah i don't know uh this isn't therapy but um i i have this this fear sometimes that like i didn't sacrifice enough at the time that i was supposed to and now i'm paying for it 
when I'm older. I, th- uh, I no, I mean, again, this could just be me rationalizing because I'm not successful, but like, I, I feel like there's been a reassessment because again, you want to take it back to, Oh, when we were starting comedy in New York in 2012, 2013, right. there was this culture, this idea of mm-hmm. you need to be doing four or five mics a right. night. The Suba Agarwal. Yeah. And if you don't, you don't love comedy, you don't want it. And I, I don't know. It just, that seemed like, Think of all the people that did that and then nothing happened for them. You know, sure. you, you only hear about someone like Mark because he's on Joe Rogan. But I, yeah. there were plenty of people that were at all those mics and just they're not really right. doing comedy anymore. I, I even remember like there was just one Tuesday night where it was like Creek at six, three dollar tavern at eight, at eight mm-hmm. and then the pit at eleven o'clock. And it's all the same comics. Mm-hmm. mostly telling the same jokes like right. mike lawrence would be the only one who would like vary up he would like write new tags in mm-hmm. between mics and mike is somewhere now but um i remember just sitting there at like the 11 o'clock mike hearing the same jokes for the third time that day it's like is this is helpful like i, I don't know mm-hmm. maybe we weren't doing it the right way like we weren't varying stuff up enough like the way mike was right. but yeah it just it, it didn't but to your point, part of it was that you felt like, well, people see that I'm here, so they know that I'm working. Yeah. And that was something that I always that always bothered me a lot was this like very New York centric, like if people don't see you here, you're doing nothing. Mm-hmm. They assume that like anytime they don't see you, it's because you're like fucking off and you know. But think of all the all the comics that are still working or still trying, and cabin is closed. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it just that's that's one thing that I've I've taken a little solace in over the years is like. Yeah, I'm not successful. Yeah, I'm still struggling, but like I'm still trying and all those brass rings that I was reaching for, they're not around anymore. Right. Um, not necessarily through the fault of the people that ran them, just like a lot of times the bar just closed, you yeah. know. But like the, the that stuff I place so much mm-hmm. importance on is gone, but I'm still trying. And that's right. I, and I, think I, that's, I hung my hat on that the best I could. But I think that's like a healthy perspective. Like the the amount the amount that I wanted Rebecca Trent to laugh at me. Yeah. And I'm not saying anything like negative about her. I had never had no, it's, with any booker. Like, yeah. I remember going to cabin and just like being a fly on the wall and just hanging out there and hearing her like cackle in the back and being like, I, I fucking want that. Like I want to be on the show. I want to hear someone like laughing at my stuff like that. How uh, it's, it's very weird that like a lot of bookers have very unique laughs mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's like just a, a cruel practical joke from god or like <laughs> just so you know you can hear in the room if if they like you or it not. makes me think of that the hedberg jokes the, that he has on one of his albums where like there's a guy who has like a very specific laugh and he goes uh only problem with having a distinctive laugh is i know exactly when you're not laughing <laughs> well i guess distinctive laugh doesn't think that joke was funny <laughs> good hedberg man yeah um uh, well, but, man, we've really yeah we've, bared our souls here got, over the last. Into it. Oh yeah, fifty-five minutes. That's that's maybe less with editing. Who knows? <laughs> um, what do you want to plug? Where can people find you? Please, um, we're gonna put all the links sure. to the YouTube video too. Yeah, I'm pretty much uh, just my name on most things. Adam Mamawala, which I'm sure will be spelled for you in the uh, in mm-hmm. the chat and whatnot. Uh, it's honestly not that complicated to it's spell. Not, but I think when people hear it or even when they see it, they're just kind of thrown by the amount of A's, which yeah. I get. Um, my YouTube channel is Mama Walla Comedy because it's like a real hassle to change it for some reason. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, basically I've got I got two albums that are out. Um, the most recent one you mentioned before, Statistically More Relatable. Um, I actually have a series that I acted in that's supposed to be coming out later this year. It's called Undercover Comic. Um, I posted like the trailer for yeah. it at some point. Yeah. Okay, awesome. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's not time to get into it, but yeah. I am very proud of it. Despite the fact that I've more or less quit acting because it was draining my soul. <laughs> Come back for part two Come next back week. Part two where yeah. I talk about uh, hundreds of self tapes in front of a wall via zoom. And then by the end of it, Adam will have actually quit comedy. <laughs> I, you know, it just, it just might be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just check out my stuff. Uh, you know, follow me on the, on the socials, but other than that, yeah. Awesome. I think that's all I got. Adam, thank you for being the first comic I met in New York and for being the first guest on what could potentially be my last podcast. Oh gosh. I well I hope I was nice to you back then. No, you weren't you were extremely nice, yeah. yeah. I never I never had you clocked as like a bad guy. So yeah, don't <laughs> don't I don't I don't anyone who did is an idiot, I think. I don't think anyone would, but yeah. I, I'm rambling at this point. Anyway, thank you. See you guys soon. Smash the like. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, this is on YouTube now. I gotta say yeah. stuff like that. Or maybe I'll put like put up like an end card. You know, like I I also said at the beginning, I don't know how to start podcasts. I don't know how to end them either. So, um, yeah. bye everybody. <laughs>